Hey guys, welcome to episode 11 of the Voice Over Roadmap podcast. On today's episode, we've got some more great performance, audio, and business questions. But uh, before we jump into this episode, I want to just sort of state the obvious that this show is uh, built around your questions and the things that you need help with related to voiceover, your performance questions, your audio questions, and your business questions. So if you have any questions, I would love for you to submit them so we can answer them on a future show with either myself or myself and a guest co-host. So you can do that at voiceoverroadmap.com slash questions. And you can also get the show notes for this episode at voiceoverroadmap.com slash 011. And as always, a reminder, you can listen to the show on iTunes, on YouTube, or on the Voice Over Roadmap website. And I just want to give you guys a quick thank you for listening to the show so far. Um, it's been really awesome to hear the response and see the uh, listener numbers go up for each episode. And we're at episode 11 already, which is pretty crazy. So, uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening and uh, share it with any of your voiceover friends or anybody you know who might get some use out of it. So let's jump into episode 11, starting with our performance question, which this week comes from Ray. And Ray asks, why specifically do clients want directed sessions? Is the major reason to get the timing right so there's less audio engineer time to pay for? Is it to get it done quicker? Is it to eliminate retakes? Is it to try the read with music or all of the above? What is the usual reason? And how does recording it themselves on their end provide an advantage? So, Ray, uh, the main answer to your question is yes to pretty much all of that. Uh, you had it right when you said all of the above. All of those things that you asked about and that those reasons that you've listed are potential reasons why a client might want to do a live session. And something that I've noticed in my own work uh, over the past, I'd say year, year and a half, is a larger and larger percentage of the work that I do shifting towards live directed jobs as opposed to jobs that I just record on my own. So I think because of the ease of doing these jobs from a home studio with uh, this sort of methods that you can use online as opposed to an ISDN connection or an analog phone patch or something like that. Because now it's easier for more talent to offer these kinds of things from a home studio, more clients want them. Uh, you know, and there's things like Skype and Source Connect and IPDTL, and these are all internet-based as opposed to something like ISDN where you actually need a physical line. So it makes it easier for talent to offer this, and it makes it easier for clients to connect with these talent. And uh, so, yeah, because of all those reasons, it's becoming more and more popular. So it's definitely something that you want to be able to do and be capable of. And uh, yeah, let's just kind of touch on some of these things you mentioned. So is a major reason to get the timing right so there's less audio engineer time to pay for? That could be the case if you're going to a studio to do it and you're actually booking studio time. If it's from a home studio, then chances are you're getting paid for the project and not really charging an hourly rate. But um, there could be, you know say it's a commercial spot for broadcast and they have certain time constraints they need to hit, you know, 15 seconds, 30 seconds, whatever it is, uh, it could be helpful to have the client on with you and they might want to be on with you so that while you're reading, they can be timing and say, yeah, that was a great read, but it came in at 17 seconds. So let's try to get it down to 15, um, stuff like that. So that's, that's timing in one sense. I think what you're kind of asking overall timing was just to make the job take less time to complete. And yeah, that is another big reason as well. And I would say that is the probably overall reason and the usual reason for doing a live directed session is to minimize back and forth, minimize the, uh, minimize the need for retakes or revisions, and to kind of get everything done in one shot where the client is listening in, they're giving you feedback, you're basically virtually in a room with them, and you're working together on the project. 
you know, it's very rare in the in the live directed jobs that I've done. It's been really rare to have to go back and do retakes or revisions after the session is complete, uh, which is awesome because it's nice to not have to go back and redo work that you kind of already thought was finished. So that is a huge uh, advantage to doing it. And I think that is the sort of main reason why clients want to do this. But uh, yeah, and something else that you mentioned, is it to try the read with music? Yeah, that could be too. Um, Sometimes what the clients will like to do is sort of get an idea of the finished project right there during the session. So what they can do is while you're recording, they can start comping takes and putting things together and coming up with a final read. Uh, If they have like, let's say it's for a commercial, they can actually take it and, you know, set it to the video, set it to the music and the sound effects and just see how it's all kind of fitting together and get a nice clear image of how it's going to work in the final product. Uh, So yeah, that's a huge advantage as well. And that also kind of leads into the last thing you said, which was how does recording it themselves provide an advantage? Well, the main advantage is that right then and there in in the session, they have the audio. So it's There's no need to send files back and forth. It just, you know, eliminates that back and forth. It eliminates the time to do that. And they'll have everything right there in front of them as you're recording. It also allows them to do things that we were just talking about, like lay that audio in with the music and sort of set it to a video if there is one to sort of cut up the different takes and put together a comp to take. All of those things can be done when they have the audio on their side during the session. And if they can do that during the session and let's say they... Let's say you did a couple of takes, they made a master take, they laid it in with the music and the video. Now they can see it and they can, you know, say, yeah, this is great, uh, but maybe let's get a different version of that first line. Well, now you're still in the session with them. So all they have to do is say to you, hey, let's do that first line. And it just goes back to the overall reason of it minimizes back and forth and makes things smoother and more efficient uh, for both sides, for the client and for the talent. So uh, yeah, hope that answers your question. And if you're thinking about some ways that you can sort of begin to offer live directed sessions, I would definitely look into some of the online based methods like Skype, which is probably the easiest or Source Connect Now, which is a little bit of a step up from Skype and still free. And then going beyond that, you have the paid options, which are going to be uh, Source Connect and IPDTL. So thanks so much for the question, Ray. And let's move on to our audio question, which this week comes from Cynthia. And she asks, what do you recommend for a noise floor setting? I try to only do my auditions during quieter outside times, but it's a challenge and I still have a terrible time getting rid of the noise. So yeah, uh, your noise floor is very important. And for those of you who are listening who aren't quite sure what a noise floor is, uh, I'll just take a second to sort of define it. So basically your noise floor is the sound of the actual room or space that you're recording in. Unless you're at NASA in that completely dead silent room that they have there, um, there's going to be some level of noise in your space. And that doesn't mean that your space is unsuitable for recording. It doesn't mean that your space isn't quiet. It's just, it's an inherent part of having a recording space is that there's going to be a noise floor. So basically when you set your mic up and you hit record and you don't talk and you don't move and you don't actually make any sound, that that recording that you get is your noise floor. Now, sort of a standard or something, if you want to put a number or something that you can shoot for is to have a noise floor of minus 50 db that's a good sort of target uh the quieter the better if you go to like a pro studio and you're recording on site and it's a studio that was designed to be a voiceover studio or a vocal booth that probably has a noise floor of minus 60 or even lower but if you can get your home studio down to minus 50 or lower that's a pretty good range and that's something that would be good to shoot for 
And uh, you can measure that. I think there are some apps out there that you can actually use to measure that. I haven't used any myself, so I can't give you a specific name. But I'm sure if you go to the App Store and just type in noise floor or just do a Google search, you can find some stuff. Or you could actually uh, test this out in your recording software or in your DAW. You can record a sample of just emptiness, basically, of just quiet studio noise of just basically the sound of your studio without talking, without making noise or anything like that. And then uh, analyze the level of that signal and the peaks in that signal and see where you're coming in. Hopefully you are underneath minus 50 dB. So that is what I would recommend for a noise floor setting, Cynthia, is to try to get to minus 50 or lower. The lower, the better. If you can get to minus 60, that's awesome. Minus 70, I mean, just as low as you can go. Yeah, it's definitely, it's an important thing to look at. In any sort of problem that you have with recording audio, it's always your best bet to treat it at the source. So, and that is completely true for things like noise. So yeah, you can do things like use a gate and do some noise reduction in post-production, but it's always going to be better to treat it at the source. And if you did want to use a noise gate, it's really not even that feasible to do so when your noise floor is above a certain level. Because let's say you have a noise floor that's not minus 50. Let's say it's, it's a lot louder than that. The problem then is if you want to use a noise gate, which what a noise gate is going to do is basically close the, uh, it's going to close a gate basically and keep out all of the audio underneath a certain threshold. So the way that it's typically used for voiceover is when the actual voice is speaking, the gate is open and it lets the audio pass through. And then in any empty spaces, like between sentences or paragraphs, the gate is going to close and there's going to be no audio whatsoever, total complete silence. But if you have a noise floor that's kind of loud, you're going to hear that noise floor underneath the recorded voice. And then when the gate clamps and there's no voice, you're going to go to complete silence. And it's going to be too drastic of a change between that noise floor and the complete silence. And you're going to hear that change. And it's going to be a pretty stark difference. And it's going to sound bad, pretty much. Uh, But if you have a quiet enough noise floor, that becomes less of an issue. And even though that gate closes and you go from having a bit of a noise floor underneath your dialogue to complete silence, the difference isn't so stark because your noise floor is already pretty quiet to begin with. So it's a smoother transition from that quiet noise floor to total silence than it is from a louder noise floor to that total silence. So yeah, if you're looking for ways to reduce the noise floor, one of the main things that you can do and somewhere I would start is really assess if the place where you're recording is the best place. Maybe you have a better room in your house. Maybe you have a better part of the room you're in. Maybe you have a closet. Maybe you can sort of set up some sort of barrier or something that's blocking any uh, sources of noise. That's where I would look first. Um, And really just assess where the noise is coming from. Is it coming from sort of electrical hum from refrigerators or appliances or devices or things like that? Is it from just outside, from leaking in from a window? Sort of assess those things and and try to set up your microphone and your studio and your recording space in an optimal way so it's getting as small amount of that stuff in the recording as possible. And uh, yeah, thanks for the question, Cynthia. And now moving on to our business question, which comes from Kenny. And Kenny asks, what bookkeeping software is most appropriate for running a voiceover business? So... I don't think there's really one specific uh, bookkeeping software that's, you know, the one to go to for running a voiceover business. It's really whichever one is the best for you personally. Which one are you the most comfortable using? Uh, is the easiest for you to use? It takes the 
least amount of time for you to use? And can you be the most efficient and effective with? And the most important thing is just to actually, I think I might've mentioned this for a similar question on a past episode, but the most important thing to do is to actually use it. You know, the actual software, there's a lot of different options and a lot of them really perform the same task and do the same thing. What's really important is just that you use it and that you're diligent about keeping track of all your records and your jobs and doing the actual bookkeeping work. It's one of those sort of less glamorous, less fun administrative tasks that uh, is necessary as a voiceover talent. And unless you get to the point where, you know, you can outsource it to a virtual assistant or an actual assistant or something like that. But but yeah, if you're doing it yourself, then you need to do it. So, uh, you know, there's things like QuickBooks and FreshBooks and all, all sorts of things like that. And there's there's really a ton of them. So it's really, you know, you can just do some research online. Uh, a lot of them have free trials. So you can kind of test them out for a week or so and just see which one you like. But yeah, the most important thing is that whichever one you pick is easy for you to use so that it takes the least amount of time as possible to get the results you need and that you actually use it. So in terms of actually using it, I would say some things to make sure that you're tracking are obviously your jobs and any unique identifiers for your jobs. So whether that's like a job number from a P2P site or just maybe a a code system that you come up with to give a unique ID to jobs or if you track it by invoice number, that's what I do for jobs that um, that don't already have a job number associated with them from like an online casting site. I will use the invoice number as sort of a unique identifier for that job. Um, any dates, you know, the dates when you got the job, the dates when you completed it and sent off the files, the date when you sent the invoice, the date when you received the payment. Um, I think that stuff's important. Obviously, the client, uh, not just the client's name, but the company that they work for. The rates, obviously, you want to track how much you got paid, what you quoted the project for. Uh, The status of the project is it's paid and totally finished. Is the voiceover delivered, but it's not paid yet? Is it still in a review process where where you still might need to do edits or revisions or something like that? Um, Some sort of status indicator, I think, is a good idea to track as well. And um, something that I like to do is also just have like a notes field for sort of miscellaneous or extra things, because sometimes there's a job here and there where... For whatever reason, there's just some something about it that you want to keep record of, but it doesn't really fit into a sort of typical category for something that you would track for every job. So I think it's helpful to sort of have a little miscellaneous or uh, extra category in there as well. But uh, yeah, hope that helps. And thank you so much for the question, Kenny. And thank you so much again to everyone who submitted a question for this episode. So that's going to do it for episode 11 of the Voice Over Roadmap podcast. And again, just another reminder, would love to get some new questions from you guys listening. So please feel free to submit at voiceoverroadmap.com slash questions. And you can check out the show notes for this episode at voiceoverroadmap.com slash 011. And we've got a couple of great new episodes coming up in the upcoming weeks with some great guest co-hosts. So make sure you check back in for those. And yeah, we will see you next week in episode 12. <laughs>